This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. If you would go ahead and open your Bibles, please, uh, to the book of John, chapter 11. And we're actually going to be in John 11, be in John chapter 12, Mark chapter 10, then we'll go back to John chapter 13. So just keep your Bibles open. Um, and then also, uh, you know, make sure you take notes there. And uh, if you uh, like to follow along the app, you can go to the Version app and then look for events and you'll find this event here at this church and you can also follow along there. Um, let's just bow our heads and ask God to help us. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. We come to the time where we open your word and God, uh, I don't have anything important to say, but I believe you do through your word, and I ask that you would just bring focus to our minds and our hearts, and that when we leave here, there would be just something different about us because of Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. We continue our series entitled Rediscovering Jesus, and for those of you that are new, kind of what we do in this church, we pick a topic and talk about it until you're tired of it, and then we go to another talk topic and talk about it until you're tired of it. And uh, But we are in the middle of this series, Rediscovering Jesus. And as we take another step to rediscover Him today, we're going to be introduced to a powerful, powerful concept that, according to Jesus, should be applied to all relationships, such as relationships at the workplace. So if you are an employer or an employee, you need to listen today. This principle should also be applied at home and and with our family. So if you have a spouse or if you have kids, both, you need to listen. This principle should be applied at church. And and so if you go to church someplace, and uh, which those of you that are here, you obviously do, you need to listen. But then if you're in any kind of leadership at any level, at any place, you need to listen as well. As well, In fact, I think I can say this with confidence. Every single leader that you respect practices this principle. And probably every single leader that you don't respect does not practice it. Okay, we all know that Jesus performed many miracles during his nearly three and a half years on earth. But there was one miracle that probably caused more controversy than the other miracles, and that was the miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, what's interesting, when you think about this miracle, it should have caused the most celebration. I mean, any time a dead person is raised back to life, uh, don't you think people should be happy? Unless they were just really a jerk. Uh, But they weren't happy. And this wasn't a situation where, well, you know, Lazarus had just died a couple of minutes ago, but all of a sudden Jesus came by while his body was still warm, raised him to life again, you know, kind of bringing up the question whether or not he was truly dead. Lazarus hadn't just died a couple of minutes ago. Lazarus hadn't even died a couple of hours ago. Lazarus had died four days ago. His body had been embalmed with spices. The funeral was over. He had been put in a tomb and the extreme heat in that area had already caused his body to begin decomposing. 
And professional mourners and what they did in that time, they would, rich families would hire professional mourners and they would come in and weep and wail and make a lot of noise and, and, and all of that. And so these professional mourners were on their fourth day of weeping when uh, Jesus walked up. And you know the account, walks up to the tomb and he, and he tells those who were there, said, roll away the stone. And then once the stone was rolled away, the Bible says he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus! And Lazarus comes strolling out of the tomb and, and Jesus says, you know, I take off his grave clothes, that way he'll be able to walk better. Now this miracle became such a big deal that the Bible says that people went to Bethany, the town where this happened, to try to do Lazarus sightings. In fact, it was almost like Bethany became a tourist attraction because of this miracle. Let's pick up our reading. John chapter 11, verse 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. What had Jesus done? He had raised Lazarus from the dead. Verse 47. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Of course, last week, for those of you that were here, we were introduced to the Sanhedrin in our lesson with Nicodemus. The Sanhedrin was kind of like the Supreme Court and Parliament all in one. And here's what they were discussing. It says, what are we accomplishing to ask? Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. And listen to their concern. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Well, this meeting brought about a plan of action. Verse 53. So from that day on... What they do, they plotted to take his life, whose life? The life of Jesus. Well, somehow Jesus found out about the plot. How do you think Jesus found out? Uh, we don't know for sure. Do you want to know my hunch? If, if you want to know my hunch, raise your hand. And, and you know what? Thank you, Craig. You're the only one. But you're going to find out anyway my hunch. Remember, Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus had come to Jesus at night. So there was some kind of a connection there. And so I wonder if Nicodemus secretly got word back to Jesus, hey, you need to watch your step. Well, when Jesus got wind of the plot, in verse 54, it says, therefore Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. Now, frankly, it would have been easier to keep a low profile had Jesus headed on north to Galilee, but he probably wanted to stay in the region of Judea. That way his disciples, he and his disciples would be fairly close to Jerusalem so they could go there for Passover. Well, during this time, while Jesus is trying to quietly circulate around so as not to bring any attention to himself, Jesus goes back to Bethany. What's special about Bethany? Where he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And the Bible says this in John chapter 12, verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd, large crowd. Now, let me just stop here and point out something. It, it, it talks about those that were following Jesus. It started out with just a crowd. But we see that it's grown to a large crowd. It says a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but check this out, but also to see Lazarus. So I said, Bethany's become a tourist trap whom he had raised from the dead. 
And, and the following statement shows how desperate the religious leaders became. Verse, verse 10. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Why Lazarus? What did he do wrong? Well, the next verse answers that. For on account of him, many Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Let's keep on reading. Verse 12. The next day, the great crowd. Uh-oh. So it went from a crowd to a large crowd. And now it says the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Well, it reaches a point where it's almost like the Pharisees are ready to hit the panic button. Listen to what they say in verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look at, now look at this, how the whole world has gone after him. <laughs> so it started out with a crowd. It became a large crowd. And then it became a great crowd. And now the Pharisees are saying the whole world has gone after him. And here's the truth. They had no idea. They had no idea that 2,000 years later there would be followers of Jesus around the entire world. Followers that would number way over 2 billion, not million, 2 billion followers of Jesus Christ. So there are masses of people heading to Jerusalem. And Jesus and his disciples are part of that crowd. That There's a heavy military presence. Passover was the time for troublemakers to make trouble, zealous to proclaim that they were the Messiah. And this was not Pilate's first rodeo. And so he stationed extra military personnel in and around the city to keep peace. Okay, we're going to leave the book of John and jump to Mark. Same account, same story. But Mark gives us a few additional details that I want to point out. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside. So Jesus and the disciples are in this massive crowd. There are people in front of them, people behind them, people asking questions. Peter, John, and everybody wanted to talk to Jesus. And, and Jesus pulls the 12 disciples off the road and said, guys, over here for just a little bit. I've already told you this, but I want to make sure that you understand what's going to happen. And it says, and he told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will arise. Now, I'm sure the disciples at this point were thinking, okay, Jesus, what are you talking about? I mean, you've got momentum, you've got the crowd, you just raised, raised this dead guy, and he wasn't, hadn't been just dead a couple of minutes, but he had been embalmed and entombed for four days, was decomposing. Remember, King James Version said, he stinketh. So, so, so Jesus, don't you think you're being a little overly dramatic? I mean, all of this doom and gloom, trust us, Jesus, nothing bad's going to happen, it's all good. Well, Jesus finishes his little talk and they stand up and begin to head over to the road to continue their trip to Jerusalem. But a couple of them have something on their minds. And so they hang back and they pull on Jesus' robe and say, Jesus, uh, before we join the masses again, we need to talk to you privately. I mean, just between you and me, actually the two of us. 
And what do they say in verse 35? Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You know, putting it in my own words, it's like they were saying, Jesus, too bad they're going to spit on you and mock you and flog you and you're going to die. That sounds horrible. I can't even imagine. Man, that's too bad. Oh, by the way, Jesus, we need you to do this for us. I mean, there was no, would you please do this or consider it? It was, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, before we come down too hard on James and John, let me just say that we're not much better. Uh, that scenario is pretty close to some of our prayers. See if you recognize yourself in, in some of these prayers. Dear Heavenly Father, I know there are people starving to death. And there are people who are dying for their faith. And there are people that are in endless cycles of abuse and poverty and drugs and alcohol Oh, it's so sad and tragic and poor people. But, 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 hey, God, would you please help my ball team to win today? I thought I'd hear an amen. <laughs> and you know what? I guarantee you some of you will probably be praying that prayer today. Um, or, 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 God, would you please help me to find a good deal on a new phone? You know how my phone battery goes down and... I had to charge it during the day. It's such a pain. And yeah, God, I, I know that there are people that are going without food today, but I need a phone that will keep its charge for a full day. Or, or, or God, would you bless me today? Even though almost all of us would make it into the top 10% of wage earners in the world. In fact, if you have a household Combined income of $32,000 a year, not all of you do, but many of you do, you make it into the top 1% of wage earners in the entire world. But we pray, oh, bless me, God. Yeah, I'm sorry about all those starving kids, but, but bless me and bless my family. Well, Jesus was nicer to James and John than, than I would have been. And, and in verse 36, he, he said, well, what do you want me to do for you? And, and, and they probably look over their shoulders and they don't want the other 10 guys to, to, to hear. And so they, they say, uh, Master, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in, in your glory. And, and so in other words, Jesus, after, after the, you know, the spitting, the mocking, the flogging, things were over. And we'll probably keep a low profile during that time. I mean, we don't want to get hurt. But once you pull off your rabbi robe and, and put on your Messiah robe and establish your throne, uh, you'll be number one. We're, we're good with that. But, but could one of us be your vice president of operations and the other maybe vice president of finances? Well, Jesus said in verse 38, you don't know what you're asking. Because Jesus knew that the gory would have to precede the glory. Jesus said, can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And in verse 39, we can, they answered. I mean, piece of cake, we can handle it. We're rough. We're tough. We're with you. But when Jesus is arrested before he has spilled a single drop of blood, they run, they hide, they disappear they deny him. Well, predictably, and I don't know how, but the other ten disciples somehow got wind of what James and John had said to Jesus. And how did they respond in verse 41? When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, why were they indignant? Was it because James and John were so insensitive to Jesus? 
Is that why they were upset? Hey, you guys are insensitive. He's going to die. Saying, and, and you're worried about who's going to be number one or number two, number three. And is that why they were indignant? No. <laughs> They're no better than James and John. And so they, they basically say, hey, the nerve of you guys to ask for the number two and the number three spots. Why would you get those positions? And maybe one of them said, I was actually part of this group before either one of you. And another maybe said, well, I'm older, so there should be some respect there. Another maybe said, I've shown more leadership ability than either one of you. Another one said, well, I get to work earlier than you. Maybe another one said, well, and I've taken less sick days than you guys have. And, and, and so now you have all 12 vying for who will get the top positions. You know, we just shake our heads at, at, at this immaturity, but, you know, again, I, I'm sorry to implicate you and me, but many of us are no better. Yeah, we may not say this out loud, but some of us think thoughts that are just as immature. Wait a minute, Pastor. Why did so-and-so get to sing in that group and I didn't? I mean, I've gone to church way longer than they have. Or, or, Pastor, I've served behind the scenes for 10 years. You've never mentioned my name publicly. And so-and-so does what I'm doing. They did it one month and they get mentioned. Or, Pastor, last Sunday I saw you stop and talk with so-and-so, but you walked right past me and didn't say a word. What's up with that? Or you saw me at a restaurant or a grocery store and you didn't talk with me. Or, or, or you mentioned so-and-so during your prayer time Sunday, didn't mention my relative, and their condition is a lot more serious. And, and I know that you are too, you're far too godly to think those things here in this church. But the sad truth that is in other churches... In other churches, that's the way they think. And I know as a church, we need to do a better job of paying attention and being sensitive. But, you know, sometimes our attitude, mine included, is just like the 12 disciples. We're, we're grown people acting like children. And Lord, we want to be top dog. And I was thinking about this this past week. I, I, I wonder, I don't know, the scripture doesn't document this, but I, I sometimes wonder if Jesus didn't just roll his eyes and go, why did I pick these idiots? <laughs> Let's keep reading Mark chapter 10, verse 42. So Jesus called them together. So they'd had their little meeting. We're headed back to join the crowd on the road. But after the shenanigans, the disciples were pulling Jesus is like, Everybody, guys, off the road again. And maybe Jesus yells to those who are waiting on them, sorry, we'll be back in a little bit, folks. And he probably didn't throw them under the bus, but I imagine he thought, I'm dealing with my staff. They're being a bunch of babies, like a bunch of babies. And, and that takes us to the heart of this lesson. If you claim to be a Christian, this is for you. If you are an employer or an employee, this is for you. If you're married or want to be or wish you weren't, 
this is for you. If you're in any type of ministry, this is for you. Jesus called them together and here's what he said. You know those, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and, and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, you know how authority works. The person at the top has all of the power. Everything pretty much flows up to them and that's how it works. And and the 12 disciples are going, of course we know how that's work, that works. That's why we're asking to be at the top of the food chain. Well, Jesus, for all I know, and again, Scripture doesn't say this, but I kind of think he went like this. And he looked at them. But by the way, I think he's looking at you right now. And I know he's looking at me because I'm the pastor. And these next four English words, and, and they're actually, they come from five Greek words from the original language, but translated into English, it comes out four words. They're so powerful. And they're words that we must take to heart, but more than that, they're words that we must take to church. They're words that we must take to work. They're words that we must take home. So Jesus says, you know how it works, the boss lords over everyone. But then Jesus says in verse 43, these four words, not so with you. I mean, that's the way the world is structured, top down. Jesus said, not so with you. You know, if you're going to be my followers, you've got to understand that power is not for the powerful. Influence is not for the influential. Rather, we're going to flip this power structure upside down. And he goes on and says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you. And I, I, I just wonder if he said, okay, guys, do you want to be great? Do you want to have influence? Uh, anybody want to be great and have influence? Raise your hand. And I imagine the disciples, their hands went up. While their hands are up, he says, okay, um, Whoever wants to be great must be your servant. I can imagine the hands went down. Because they knew about servants. You know, servants do the dirty jobs. They wash the feet of the guests. They, they go to the back of the line. They eat last. They get leftovers. And Jesus continues on in verse 44. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And, and of course, the disciples didn't like the way that was going because servants at least got a little bit of pay Slaves didn't. And so I can imagine the disciples were getting ready to object. But Jesus goes on in verse 45. It says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus was saying, let me take all of your excuses away. I'm your leader, but I did not come to be served. Rather, I came to serve and I came to give my life as a ransom for you and the whole world. Here's my opinion. I think if we got this right, I think our homes would change for the better. I think our communities would change for the better. And you know what? I think this church would become an awesome church. If we understood this concept... Well, even though I don't think the disciples got it during that little speech, I think they got it the next day. The next day they got to Jerusalem. They went to what is called the upper room. 
There they are in the upper room eating Passover together. They've just come through a parade of people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, waving palm branches. And I mean, they are stoked. The disciples feel pretty famous. Well, during the Passover meal, Jesus says some rather odd things. And and then all of a sudden, Judas gets up and goes off to what they thought he was going to just run an errand and just disappears and Jesus stands up and let's read what he does. John 13, 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, when he did that, the disciples probably panicked because they knew what he was about to do. This is the way that servants went about washing the feet of the guests. And, and just reading between uh, uh, the, the lines, the, the servants had to be, Master, we blew it. You know, we, it slipped our minds. We were so excited about being famous and the hosannas and the palm branches. We, we forgot to arrange for a servant to wash our feet. This is inexcusable. We realized that, but Master, there is no way, and they probably didn't say this, but there's no way in Hades that we're going to allow you to wash our feet. But the Bible says, verse 5, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Well, as usual, Peter mouthed off a little bit, said, you ain't washing my feet. Jesus said, okay, but if you don't let me, then you can't be part of us. Peter finally settled down and, and here's what I think happened. I think there was silence. I don't think anyone said anything. All you could hear was the dripping of water as Jesus, ankle by ankle, foot by foot, toe by toe, washed those dirty, smelly feet. And I think what really had to get them is that they knew what those hands had done. They had seen Jesus take a crippled man by the hand and lift him up and he was healed. They'd seen Jesus literally touch the eyes of a blind man and he could see. They had seen Jesus touch lepers and instead of Jesus getting leprosy, the lepers were healed. It seemed Jesus touched this crazy demon-possessed man that was doing some of the strangest things and squealing and making these awful sounds. And Jesus touched him and he was freed of the evil spirit. They'd seen Jesus do with his hands things that no one else had ever done. And here, here, he's doing the work of a servant. Washing their dirty feet. Now it takes a while to wash 12 pairs of feet. But when he finished, he stood back up. He dried his hands. He put back on his rabbinic robe and sat down at the table again. I I still think no one was saying a word. They were so stunned. And finally, Jesus broke the silence. 
And, and listen to what he said to his disciples. And, and listen to what he's saying to you. And, and listen to what he's saying to me. You call me teacher and Lord? Rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. And he continues on in verse 16. He says, I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master. And, and maybe he paused and uh, a minute. And, and again, Scripture doesn't say this. Just kind of read him between the lines. But maybe he said, uh, Peter, are you better than me? Uh, no, sir. Uh, uh, John, are, are you better than me? Uh, no, sir. Um, Andrew, are, are, are you better than me? No, Master. James, are, are you better than me? Uh, no, sir. Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, Philip, are you better than me? And they all said, no, no, not even close. And Jesus said this, if you're not better than me, then you can never use who you are as an excuse not to serve the people around you. He says this, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In other words, Jesus said to them, and he says to you, and he says to me, he says, when you start thinking you're a big shot, just go find some feet to wash. Did the guys get it? Not totally, but in many ways they did. You know, after the four Gospels, we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the Gospels of Jesus Christ. And we get to the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles. That tells what happened in the church after the resurrection and and in the book of Acts, there was a problem in the church. Church problems started early. You know what the problem was? The apostles were spending so much time serving. And listen, they were serving food to the widows. They had a program where they did that. And they were, serving, they were spending so much time serving food to the widows that others couldn't get them to take a break to teach the Word. It was like, Peter... For goodness sake, would you lead the Bible study today? Well, I, I, I'm willing, but I feel like I need to serve. Okay, Peter, your servant attitude is wonderful. But Peter, you're one of the few that was with Jesus. You know what he taught. Well, okay, I'm willing, but I don't want my heavenly father to think, think that I'm getting too big for my britches. It was almost like they had to pry their fingers off of the serving trays because they had such a servant's attitude. You know, it always amazes me at this church. How many of you get this concept? And you're amazing. You know what it is to serve. You, you know what it is to help feed the kids on Wednesday nights. You know what it is to help lead a small group. And you know what it is to volunteer an hour of your time. As we challenge all of you to do, you know, once a month to just come and clean the church for an hour a month. And you know what it is to volunteer to be on the rotation to help mow the church lawn in the summertime and Frankly, sometimes I'm just overwhelmed at your attitude to serve. It's just amazing. Thank you so much. 
But the other emotion I, I get, and once again, that, that wouldn't happen here at all, but in other churches, you know, they don't get it. They, they haven't discovered the joy of serving, and, and many of them will be faithful to church, and, and they will throw in a check and think that I'll support, but that way it'll excuse me from having to serve with my hands. And I really think that there may be a few here that you've never discovered the joy of helping serve those 50 to 60 kids that we feed every Wednesday night. There may be a few people here you've never discovered the joy of helping lead a small group or helping volunteer elsewhere. And and I think that people who consistently do not serve, their life is empty. And even though they may support ministries financially, and thank you for doing that, but just because we throw in a check, just because we tithe and give offerings, doesn't excuse us from serving with our hands. Thank you for all of those amens. I'm overwhelmed by those amens that I just heard. So the disciples at least partially got it. And in the years following the resurrection of Jesus, the persecuted church got it as well. In fact, the servant attitude of the first century church was so strong that to begin with, it was actually appalling because the Roman and the Greek culture, they celebrated strength and courage and, and you know, victory, conquest. But over time, it went from being appalling to appealing and, and people loved it. They saw the servant attitude. They began to flock to the Jesus movement and Christians refused to abandon sick people and Christians refused to abandon villages when plagues swept through and took out about everybody in the village because Christians were not afraid of getting sick. They weren't afraid of death. Debating whether or not to say this because I know this will put me on your not popular list. But that's okay. I've always been there anyway. You know, they didn't say, I don't want to get too close to you. I I don't want to shake hands with you because I might get what you've had. They didn't say, okay, you know, let me get my hand sanitizer on and my gloves. Let me spray down everything and then I will serve you. And you know what? The love and the compassion of the early church for others was far greater than their concern for themselves. And since I'm already in deep weeds, let me just go ahead and say this. Sometimes I wonder if our sanitized society in America is one of the reasons that the church as a whole is not growing. You know, we will serve people as long as it's safe, as long as it's convenient, as long as it's healthy. And so what happened, like an airborne disease that was contagious, Christianity spread all around the empire, over the borders, into barbarian tribes, And against all odds, a a, a startup religion with a crucified leader, with no military, no authority, spread across the entire world. Look up here. If you call yourself a Christian, look up here a second. Look up here. That's your heritage. That's your story. As we talk about people being selfless, that's your heritage. And I'm not saying that we should just throw all caution to the wind. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that... In fact, let me just say this. If, if you've got a fever, if you've got a disease, would you 
please just stay home and don't be contagious. But would you take that upon yourself? But what but I'm also trying to say is that, you know what? We, we, have, we have come to the point of being so sanitized to where sometimes we don't want to bless people. We don't want to touch people. And, and this isn't natural. You know, what's natural is self-preservation. And, you know, I, I, I'm going to stay away from you because you might be contagious. And, you know, you can't be too careful. And, yes, you need to be careful. But what Christ was saying is that our love for people should supersede our love for ourselves. And that's what caused the early church to grow. And it's the joy concept. Jesus first, others next, you last. That's it. And I think it boils down to a simple question. And it's a simple question that we should ask in every single relationship, whether it's at the home, whether it's at work, whether it's on the ball field, whatever. It's a question that those of us with a little bit more authority and more power and more influence should ask most, even of people that are least deserving of it. And here's the question. It's the question, how can I help? How can I leverage me for you? And if we do it, we will be like our Father in heaven who looked down. Aren't you glad he did? He looked down on this self-centered, me-first world. He said, what can I do to help? And, and then he sent his son not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if, if there's anything I want to get across today, it's that, you know, we hold the key. We are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And if we refuse to touch, we sanitize ourselves and isolate ourselves from those who have a need, who need Jesus, who's going to touch them, who's going to reach them. You know, Jesus could directly do this, but he chose to use us as his hands and feet. And so when you leave this morning... We want to give you a bookmark. How can I help? And I wanted you to put this in your Bible or put this in a visible place as you go about your day. And if you're an employer, I want you to ask your employees, how can I help? If you're an employee, why don't you go ask your boss, how can I help? You know, if you're a spouse, why don't you ask your spouse, how can I help you today? Or kids, why don't you go to your parents and just really shock them and say, how can I help you today, mom or dad? And all of the parents said, amen. <laughs> and you know what? I do believe that this concept will make a huge difference in our world today. Let's pray. Oh God, I, I want to thank you for the fact that you sent your son not to be the boss, the Lord over, but he came to serve. Lord, I pray that you would help us to capture the spirit of servanthood. Lord, I know, I know today we're going to be careful. I know there are so many things floating around, but God, back in 2,000 years ago, there was a bunch of stuff too. And then Lord, as we move through history the bubonic plague, plague, and Lord, different things that took out just masses of people, and there were the Christians there that were trying to minister. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us that wisdom, the fine line of what to do, but Lord, I pray that the bottom line would be that we would serve each other, and that 
Lord, we would be able to help, that we would be your hands and feet, and that we would go to those people who maybe are least deserving and let us serve you and serve others. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.